So I want to start with a question with you all this morning, and that is, what was your dad like? Or maybe, what is your dad like? You know, was your dad a very involved dad? Was he a compassionate dad? A dad that you knew without a shadow of a doubt that he loved you with all of his heart? Was he the kind of dad, maybe, perhaps, that was too busy? Had a lot going on in his life. He was traveling a lot, perhaps, and you really didn't have a whole lot of special time with your dad. Maybe your dad was abusive. Perhaps you were abandoned by your dad. Perhaps your dad passed away earlier on in your life. And for some of you, many of your dads are long gone. But it's really interesting to be able to remember, you know, um, involved dads are uh, kind of a scarcity these days. There's some statistics that I found this week that was rather interesting. It says that uh, in 1960, 10% of children today had, did not have an involved father. And now it says that 40% of children today have a kind of a fatherless situation in their lives. It's been studied that involved fathers, kids have less behavioral problems. They're more likely to succeed academically. Uh, they, uh, they seem to have better communication skills. And uh, involved fathers are, are really great. Um, I have a picture of my dad. Uh, my dad was a, a great guy. Um, he was, uh, uh, some of you actually probably know my dad and mom. They were here at Cornerstone back about uh, 12 to 15 years ago. My dad passed away about 12 years ago. And uh, my dad really loved Jesus. But you know what I discovered? My dad wasn't perfect. <laughs> and probably your dad wasn't either. I remember in the days when I was raising my kids, uh, uh, I would come to my kids and I would ask them, and said, how am I doing as a dad? And uh, my, my, my son would, was very blunt and very honest. And he said, dad, you know what? You try too hard. You're trying to be the perfect dad. And, uh, you know, there's no such thing as a perfect dad. And yet this morning we're going to meet the perfect dad. I want to take you to a scripture in Romans chapter 8, verses 14 through 17. But um, I want to give you the big idea. The big idea this morning is this. In Christ, we exchange or we leave Adam's family and join Christ's family. Now, the minute I saw Adam's family, I went back to that old TV show, right? (laughs) When we think about Adam's family, we realize that the Adam's family was the family that Adam and Eve gave birth to, which was pretty dysfunctional and it's been dysfunctional ever since, right? Because we're all a part. We were a part of Adam's family. But we've exchanged that, if you know Christ this morning, to be a part of his family, which was also maybe a little dysfunctional because we're all in it together, right? But by and large, we've been given a great opportunity to find new identity. So let's look at Romans 8, chapter, uh, Romans 8 verses 14 through 17, and give yourself an opportunity to open up your, your Bibles or your texts or your iPads or your phones. And let's read just those three verses. They're powerfully packed with some great stuff. He says to start out, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. Their, their family. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God, and co-heirs with Christ. Indeed, we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. 
some great scripture there, and I want to unpack that for you this morning. And I want to start by ducking at the concept of what it means to be led by the Spirit. He says, those who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. You have an identity here that if you are led by the Spirit, it confirms the fact that you are a son of God, that you are one of his sons, you're part of his family. Well, what does that look like? Because a lot of times we talk about being led by the Spirit, and it just kind of gets a little mysterious at times. But I'm going to give you three basic things to think about when it comes to being led by the Spirit. The first one is is that we can't be led by the Spirit unless his presence is actually in us. In verse 16, Uh, the Spirit himself identifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Is the Spirit living inside you this morning? Have you ever invited Jesus Christ into your life? Because when you do, the Spirit of Christ enters into your being, and you can't be led if he ain't there, right? So it's important that we know that we have the Spirit of God living within us. Secondly... We are led if we take direction from his word. In Romans chapter 12, some of you know this scripture by heart, be not conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by what? The renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing will. See, we discover how to be led by going to the roadmap. We go to the roadmap, and what is it? It's scripture. And he says, on a day-to-day basis, we are not to be conformed, but we're going to be transformed by what? The renewing of our mind. We need to to fill our hearts and minds with this truth. And when that truth is in us, and we focus on that, and we get involved in that, and obey that, and traffic in that, we're going to be led by the Spirit. So how much time we spend in the Word is really critical in order to be led by the Spirit. And if we're not spending more time than just what we're doing on Sunday morning, we're, we're going to be in trouble, because it's really a constant battle day in and day out to feel led by the Spirit. Then thirdly, we are led when we recognize and obey His voice. In verse 16, it's really interesting, it says, the Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are sons of God. There's that inner voice, that conscience, whatever you want to call it, that's there, that lives within us, that confirms the fact that he is there and he wants to speak to us. My question is, do you believe that the Holy Spirit still wants to speak to us? You know, you remember Elijah when he was uh, on, on, on the mount and he was just depressed beyond his mind and, and there was all kinds of things going on and the voice of God wasn't in the thunder, it wasn't in the storm, it, but it was in that still small voice. And I wonder how much we slow down to be led by the Spirit, to hear what the Spirit has to say. It's been fun for me. I know that uh, it's really, really interesting. You know, when, you were a, when I was a pastor for 30-some, 40 years now, it seems like, um, I would have devotional life, and I would have preparation for Scripture. But I was told, when you kind of get into this retirement mode, your devotional life just almost opens up to you even more than ever before. And so it's been fun for me to just lay down on my bedroom floor. And I, I uh, been, was doing that for a long time because I had vertigo for two years. But that became a sanctified space for me, and I began to slow down and read and concentrate and contemplate God in my life. And the Holy Spirit would speak to me. And it's so cool because when you have that moment with the Holy Spirit and he speaks to us, you understand how to be led by that because he gives you cues all during the day for those divine appointments, for those opportunities to share Christ, to, to, to exemplify the fruit of the Spirit. So he speaks to us in that still small voice and we can't be led unless we hear his voice. And it takes slowing down long enough to hear what he has to say. 
So we know that we're sons of God if we're led by the Spirit. But let's go to the next particular portion of that scripture in verse 15. Go to the next slide, could we? Go to the next slide. (laughs) We go to this particular passage, and it's in verse 15. It says, The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by Him we cry, Abba, Father. I want to talk about adoption for a moment. Because I think adoption is such an incredibly important issue when it comes to our identity in Christ, okay? Now, every adoption involves two families, right? Whenever you see somebody being adopted, uh, there's usually some sort of issue with the family. There was probably a situation where there was some abuse, perhaps, or there was not enough finances to be able to, to take care of the child. And so for some reason, this, quote, family, who was sort of in a, in a, a bind or in a mess they decide that they want to sort of orphan that child so that somebody else who has a healthier family can take that child into their home and raise them, right? And so technically what what, what happened to us spiritually, we were a part of Adam's family when we were born, right? We were born into the Adam's family, okay? And that Adam's family was dysfunctional. It started out immediately where Adam was blaming Eve, Eve was blaming the, uh, the Satan, and, and it was just a mess. And then their sons headed out, right? Cain killed Abel. I mean, from the very beginning, we came from this dysfunctional family, and we were all born into sin. Well, the beauty of it is that was a dysfunctional family. And when Christ came to us into our lives, we shifted from Adam's family into his family. And it changes everything. Everything. And let's talk about those changes because I think there's something really, really important to, to, uh, to discuss here. Because when you think about adoption, you think about it being a selective process. It's selective. You see, when you had your biological kids, you didn't select what you wanted, right? And for some of you, wish you could go back and change the gene pool, all right? But the point is when you adopt, you find this child and you, 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 Say, God, is this the child that you want me to have? And you embrace that child and you take them in. You, you grab onto them, you hold onto them because it's a selective process. And I think when we think about spiritual adoption, it's a selective process. What do I mean by that? But Ephesians chapter one verse four says, for the, he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. And you say, okay, Pastor Tom, explain predestination and election to me this morning. I'm going to leave that to Pastor Scott. Because he's much smarter than I am. Yeah, now he's shaking his head. He's, he's going to have to deal with that later. But the point is, if you know Christ this morning, he chose you. Does that kind of, I mean, to think of all the billions of people that have come and gone over the thousands of years, that you're sitting here today, if you know Jesus, he selected you. He said, I want you, I love you, I care about you, and I want to take you into my family. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. He selected you. I don't know if you've ever been on the, uh, out on the playground when you were a kid. I know when I was a kid, and you know you choose upsides. And you know how sad it is when that kid that can't do anything athletically, and he's the last one to get picked. But it's so fun to be the first one to get chosen. You know, I haven't won too many things, but I'll tell you one thing. When God chose me, I won it all. Amen? Amen. He chose you too. He chose you. 
It's a selective process. That's what I love about it, this whole concept of adoption spiritually. Then secondly, also, adoption is extremely expensive. You can ask Josh and Katie about that. You can ask uh, John Dickerson, our old pastor, and his wife when they adopted a little gal from Haiti. It's an expensive issue. It costs a lot. Well, did it cost a lot for us to be adopted? Boy, you bet it did. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7 says, In him we have redemption, what? Through his blood for the forgiveness of sin in accordance with what? With the riches of God's grace. We just celebrated communion together. We celebrated the concept of his shed blood for us. It cost Jesus everything to choose us. It was an expensive proposition. Let's not take that for granted, amen? Jesus paid it all for us. It was an expensive proposition. The third thing I I thought about adoption is that it's permanent. It's permanent. In verse 17, he says, Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ. Now, what's fascinating, if you go back into history, Middle Eastern culture, when a child was adopted, they could not be cut out of the inheritance. If you had a biological son, it could have been a possibility. But if you were an adopted son, no way. You are guaranteed an inheritance. It is totally permanent. It talks basically a little bit about what it means to have eternal security. Friend, when you accepted Christ into your life, you have a 100% guarantee that you are a joint heir with Christ to go to heaven when you die. It's powerful. But it's permanent. It's not something you can lose tomorrow and the next day. And then get it back. And then lose it and get it back. Once you're a part of the family, you're part of the family. It's just like you who are blood relatives. It's in your blood, folks. And you want to say, oh, I don't want to be a part of the family. But sorry, biologically, you're a part of the family. Right? Because your blood is flowing through the same blood that your parents are flowing through. It's permanent. Now, here's the fourth thing I thought about adoption, and that is that it's really beneficial. Because what happens here is that every adopted child receives all the benefits of being a part of the family inheritance. We just read about it. It's beneficial. It's got great benefits. You know, what's really funny today, um, I've been listening to uh, talk radio here this week, and maybe you do too, and um, on talk radio, they had this thing called freedomcheck.com. Anybody hear about that? They claim that there's, there's billions of dollars somewhere in the government that is unclaimed inheritances and things like that. Now, some of you are probably already looking online on your phones for that. Um, you know, there's another one called unclaimedmoney.com because we we're hoping maybe for some rich uncle that we forgot about or he, that he didn't forget about us. And so, lo and behold, you go on there and you find, oh, wow, I just realized I inherited $100,000 from this uncle. I had no idea. Well, what's really awesome about being a child of God is that we get all the benefits. Just the other day, I almost hesitate sharing this, but I'm going to... Remember I shared when I lay on the floor and I hear the Spirit speaking to me? Two days ago, um, I broke down and cried because I was thinking about heaven. You know, when you get to be our age, you start thinking more about heaven than when you were younger. As I was thinking about it, I thought, Lord, what's heaven like? And, you know, it seems sort of, you know, out there in space to me in some regards. 
and I know I'm excited about going, but you know, there's a lot of unanswered questions. And you know what Jesus said to me that morning? He said, Tom, I got a special place just for you. I broke down and cried. In my father's house, there are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you. Do you realize that God is preparing a place just for you? That we have this great benefit of this inheritance of the kingdom of God. And we can go to heaven and he's preparing a place for us. Is that awesome or what? And you know, I, I, I just, I got tears of joy in my, my heart because I thought, you know what? God, Jesus, you do that just for me? Are you kidding? And it just gave me an, a, another assurance in my life that, yeah, this is real. This is, this is what we have to look forward to. It's paradise. He said to the, the thief on the cross, today will be with me in paradise. I like paradise better than heaven, to be honest with you. Because paradise I can kind of get a little bit. It's so beneficial to be a part of the family. Amen? And then the last thing is that we get a new identity. We get a new identity. You know, when you get adopted, your name changes. A lot of times the new parents will give that child a different name, a first name even, but they definitely change their last name. You know what's fascinating to me? You know, right now we're all kind of obsessed with this Ancestry.com thing, right? We all want to know our DNA. In fact, my neighbor across the street did a whole DNA check on his dog to figure out how many, what kind of dog he had. He found out they were part of 14 different varieties. And he looks like a Dalmatian, but he said somewhere in his DNA, he's a chihuahua. And I thought, you've got to be kidding me. I mean, we're sort of obsessed with trying to figure out our identity, right? We're trying to figure out what our gene pool is. Where do we come from? I was fascinated myself just not too many months ago. My cousin phoned me and said, do you realize that you were a French Jew back in the day? My family came from there. I thought, wow, that's kind of cool. But you know, when you come to Christ, you get a whole new identity. What does 2 Corinthians 5.17 say? If any man be in Christ, what? He is a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. You know what? Your spiritual DNA, you don't have to worry about your identity anymore. Because the blood of Jesus is flowing in your spiritual veins. You get it? Our DNA is already taken care of. We don't need to go figure out where our DNA has come from because as a child of God, the price has been paid and we're allowing his blood to flow through our veins. Don't you love it? So what's my DNA? I'm a child of the king. I'm a son of God. I'm a part of his family. We don't often get that. You know, we're still trying to figure out that our identity is in our job or, or in our circumstances or, or in our successes when in reality it says, no, wait, 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 wait. Your identity, bottom line, it's the blood of Jesus flowing in our veins. A new identity. What a gift that is, especially if you come from a broken past to know that when Jesus Christ came into your life, you're brand new. Old things have passed away and all things become new. Amen? Well, not only do we need to be led by the Spirit to be a part of the family, but we also are an adopted child of the family. But I love this part. We get a new dad. We get a new dad. You know, I, I started this this message by talking about dads and what your dad was like. 
And I love the passage of Scripture in verse 15 where it says, For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave to fear, but you received a spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. And most of you know that Abba, Father means Daddy. Daddy. You know, when my dad passed away 12 years ago, um, my dad was a great guy. He loved Jesus. Some of you who knew him, he sang so loud it would scare you on Sunday morning. He would sit in the back row and he'd glad hand everybody in the church when he was over on Rosser. But my dad had his faults and we struggled. I was the middle child. But you know, um, there's a lot of things that I was frustrated with my dad about that he didn't get, you know, he just never got it. And then he died. And then I thought, you know, my dad gets it now. Is that cool? But what it did also is that sometimes we use our earthly dad as an excuse. And we know that psychologists tell us that our earthly dads often reflect how we feel about our heavenly father, right? And so when dad passed away, he sort of got out of the way. Now this, bear with me. But he got out of the way so that I could go direct more to my heavenly daddy. Does that make sense? And, and so when for several months after my dad passed away, you know how I would pray? I'd say, dear daddy, dear daddy. Because I realized that my perfect dad is my heavenly father. So what kind of a father is he? Well, first of all, we talked about an uninvolved father. You can guarantee our heavenly daddy is involved, right? He is involved. Maybe you had a dad that was never around. And consequently, you feel like sometimes God's never around. Maybe you never had a really close conversation with your dad. And yet God wants to be involved in our lives and he wants us to communicate back and forth. And you know, one of the issues my dad had was that even though he was a counselor, he was a guidance counselor and a school superintendent, he had a hard time listening to me. And for a long time, it was really hard for me to to even pray because I just felt like, God, do you really want to listen to me? And God said very clearly to me that I will never leave you nor forsake you. Of course I'm there. I'm always there for you. I'm always involved in your life. In fact, if you read Psalm 139, and I would challenge you to go back and read it again, you find a pretty involved dad right there. I mean, he knows everything about us. He knows when we sit down, when we rise up. He knows every word that proceeds out of our mouth. He knows our thoughts. He created us in our mother's womb. Our heavenly dad knows us like a book inside out and he's involved in your life and wants intimacy with you. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. What? If any man hear my voice, I will enter into him and he with me. That's written to believers. He says, I want to have a relationship with you. I want to be involved in your life. And if you don't feel like God's involved in your life right now, there's an old saying, you know, if God's not there for you and you've lost that connection, who moved? It's not God. So we have an involved father. 
Secondly, he's not only involved dad, he's a liberating dad. You go back and we say, you're no longer a slave to fear. We sing that song. I love that song. See, when I was growing up, um, I would be in a bedroom on the other side of the upstairs. I don't know about you, but I'd have some bad dreams, and then I'd wake up, and then, you know, we had an old crickety house, and, you know, you would hear these cracks, and I thought the boogeyman was coming upstairs, or he was hiding under my bed. And I would get scared. And so I would cry out to my dad. I'd say, Dad, are you awake? He'd go, "Uh uh-huh. That's all I needed. That's all I needed. I just needed to know my daddy was awake. And he was alert. And he was watching over me. And that gave me enough confidence to go back to sleep. You see, he's a liberating dad. He liberates us from the fear of the past. He liberates us from the fear of the present. And he can liberate us from the fear of the future. That's what it's all about. We have a heavenly father that is so incredibly powerful and so wants to be so intimate with us that when we cry out, he's always there for us. Amen. We have an all-powerful, omnipresent, powerful God that wants to have an intimate relationship just with you and just with me. Isn't that cool? It blows my mind. When you, if you really stop and think that this almighty God wants to liberate me from all of my fears and he's totally involved in my life, he loves me so much, I am so glad I got a perfect dad. How about you? We got a perfect daddy. So let me close with some questions with you this morning. First of all, I want to ask you, are you a family member? Have you ever taken the step in your life to invite Jesus Christ to come into your life to forgive you of your sin? And at that point, the Holy Spirit of God comes into your being and you suddenly become an adopted son chosen by God to be a part of this incredible family. Have you ever done that? You see, we can't be led by the Spirit, like I said earlier, unless you invite the Spirit in. And then He's got a hold of you, and He can speak to you then in that still, small voice. So are you a family member? Here's the second question I have. Is your greatest desire to be led by the Spirit, or are you doing it on your own? I'm reading a book by John Eldridge right now called Desire, and it's been really fascinating to get involved in it because it all boils down to our desire. How bad do you want to be led by the Spirit this morning? How bad do you want to hear His voice? How bad do you want to know what His truth is by going into His roadmap, the Scriptures, and understanding what the will of God is for your life? How bad do you want it? And for some of us here, it's kind of like, oh, you know, yeah, I, yeah, I want to be led by the Spirit. But really, when it comes really down to it, do you really, is that your deepest and most desire? That's why David was a man after God's own heart. Yeah, did he have faults? Did he mess up in his life? But bottom line is, he wanted to do the will of God in his life. Bottom line. Here's the third question. When's the last time you thanked your heavenly dad for adopting you out of the Adams family. It's overwhelming to me as I studied this and 
Again, I was laying on my bedroom floor and I was contemplating this message. Think, yeah, Daddy, you are so amazing. Thanks for doing this in my life. I mean, sometimes we just forget, don't we? We get so tied up in doing our thing spiritually, we just forget these big, incredible theological nuggets that just kind of go into our head, but we never really absorb them into heart. I'm adopted. I'm his kid. Amen. So let me give you some next steps as I close. Here's some some ideas that I want to throw at you that you can kind of practically deal with. Number one is, are there some unresolved issues with your earthly dad? And he may be long gone. I would like you to think about identifying a next step to begin to reconcile those issues in your own life. You know, it took my dad actually passing away for me to reconcile this issue of his listening. And once I dealt with that, it really just exploded my connection with my heavenly dad. But we got to get that figured out. So I challenge you to think about what is that step that I could take? And I know that it's some, for some of you, it's, it's pretty convoluted and it's really difficult. But if you can just say, what's the next step? Is it a forgiveness step? Is it a letter to write? Is it, is it a, a you know, reconciliation time? What, what is that step that you need to take? Because those kinds of issues are often roadblocks to your heavenly daddy. And so we want to get rid of that. Here's the second step I want to challenge you to think about. The next time you pray, I ask you to just think about starting out with dear daddy. Something simple, but it sort of changes the flavor of that moment. And when I would say dear daddy, there was a sense of greater intimacy for a moment. You know, when I go to Heavenly Father, it's like, okay, I've got this almighty God, and he's, he's up there, and he's all-powerful, and it can be almost a little distant, and it's not that I'm, I want to be irreverent, but, but when you say, dear Daddy, it sort of brings God down to earth into our being. So just, just a thought. And here's a third step. Try rereading Psalms 139. It's obviously been one of my favorite passages of Scripture. And just... Allow yourself, put your name, when it talks about he wove you in your mother's womb, you say he wove Tom in his, mother's wo- in, in his mom's womb. And personalize that and just allow that to just soak into your being. To realize what this Heavenly Father is all about. This daddy who is so involved and so committed to you on a personal level. And I just challenge you to take that step. Read Psalms 139. Well, our big idea was you've left Adam's family and you're involved in Christ's family. And you know, we're all, most of you are part of that family. And we know that this family ain't perfect either, right? But by golly, it's a whole lot better than the Adam's family. And we have so much to be blessed for. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you this morning. And I'm going to call you Daddy. And I want to say, I love you, Daddy. Thank you for choosing me. Thank you, Jesus, for the price that you paid. It was so expensive. And we take that so much for granted some days. 
There may be somebody in the room this morning who's not a part of the family. Perhaps you've been contemplating it. And this morning would be a great morning for you to just say, Jesus, I want to be led by the Spirit. I want you to come into my life. Forgive me for my sin. I want to be a part of your family. I want to change my DNA. I want your blood to flow through my veins. I want to have purpose and reason in life. And I want a a slice of that great inheritance called heaven. If that's the desire of your heart, you can pray that in your heart of hearts this morning. And you can walk out of here with a new identity. So Lord, I thank you again for the sacrifice that you made just for me. And I know you're preparing a place for all of us as we sit here this morning in paradise. What a day that will be. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the audio from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.prescottcornerstone.com.